gentlemen, let's broaden our minds. Lawrence. From the Ancient One Studio, this is the Cubic Shenanigans Warhammer Podcast. Welcome to the Cube. <laughs> well, hello everyone, and welcome to episode 96 of the Cubic Shenanigans Warhammer Podcast. I'm your host, Dan. And I'm Brendan. Brendan, we have a couple things to talk about today that are an event and some crazy stuff going on in Gur. Yeah, we're going to talk about the... Thandia, it's like rules supplement, I think is maybe the best way to put it. Sure. And then we'll talk about our time at Spring Rubicon. I think that was about three weeks ago for us. Yep. That's what we got on deck today. And we have, uh, just for kind of teasing a, a little bit later in the show, Dan has some comments because of a dark, dark discovery he has made about we're, Nagash. We're going to become the Apology Podcast. Yes. You know, I, In this case, yes. <laughs> I can't promise how frequently these apologies will come from, but our PR company that we've contracted with is going to be very happy at the amount of apology statements that are going to be made now and in the future. Uh, oh, at some point, I'll have to apologize for the lack of apologies and... <laughs> We want to be out there. We want to be full disclosure always on this show. And if we make some, you know, egregious mistake, we want to say, hey, we understand it. We know the game and we made a mistake. Dan cheated all of his opponents for the last 17 years. Dan is a cheating cheater. Just so you know this. Just to tease it a little bit. Anyway. And I caught him. It was me. (laughs) Okay. One last thing, listeners, before we move on to Whispers from the Warp. We just want to give you a heads up. Please check the show notes and the timestamps because we are going to cover Thondia in a fair amount of detail. So if you're not interested or you don't think you're going to be playing Thondia, whatever, again, check those timestamps so that you can move right on to Rubicon if that's what you'd like to do. Because I'm going to be (laughs) long-winded. He covers it in detail. That's why we just wanted to give you a heads up. We'll definitely talk about the Incarnate War Scroll and those things, but just check it and make sure it's something you want to do. We always encourage you to listen to the whole show. That's awesome because there's always a lot of great stuff in every different component of the show, but just letting you know. And so we will move on to Whispers from the War. Hello. My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Brendan, what's going on in your hobby table, man? It's going well. I finished up the last of the Scythe Hunters. Mm. I Great. finished up the War Song. I started on painting the actual tree bases. Mm-hmm. And I've got my last model that has to be done, the Tree Lord on the painting station. I've got 10 Summon Dryads that I can you know, work on as we get closer to it. But then I asked to finish the basing for all the new stuff I did. So sure. we're two weeks out from Vault Wars. I feel like we got a pretty good spot because I have one full weekend of, you know, of slated hobby if I need it. But yeah. No, they're looking good. They came together in terms of color and palette and everything. They look look very... Uh, well, the tough part was matching uh, an old scheme. Yeah. That's the... <laughs> but I mean, just as something sitting on the table mm-hmm. when I saw it, looks very nice. Thank you. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. So you'll be done in time. I would be... Very surprised if I wasn't. Okay, coolio. And my lists are submitted, so I kind of have <laughs> yeah, no choice. We're kind of stuck now. Yeah. They were due yesterday, so yeah, and then that's cool. You have been working Ooh. on your Nagash. Yes, and he's really come together nicely. 
I have to give you know credit for the conversion I did on his right hand. Instead of holding the book, he's holding a storm cast and doing some evil Soul things. removal. Yes, and I have to give credit to Isaiah Ramchek because we were talking at this event we're going to talk about. Yeah. And we were kind of talking back and forth. He's like, I thought this might be kind of cool. And I'm like, wouldn't that be awesome? And so thought to application here. And I think it turned out pretty well. Nagash is done. The main part of the model. I also finished the book, the big one, Mm. did some free handing and stuff. I'll let you know, take a look at it and see what you think. But that's all finished. And now it's just ghostly contrails. And I want to do a little bit of conversion. I think I'm going to put a, I've got, you know, that GW box of skulls. I think I'm going to put a lot of skulls on the contrails just to kind of highlight it a little bit. Kind of like putting sprinkles on something. Sure. (laughs) We're going to sprinkle skulls to add a little bit of whatever. And then the other thing I did was I took one of the spirits that are flying around and I reversed its hands. So it'll be holding the big book. So that should look kind of cool too. Just a couple of neat things. We'll see how it ends up. But it's been really fun to have a model like that to work on because I've First of all, I've never done a God model like that, really. I did Marathi, of Mm -hmm. course. But something like this, to me, was just a huge project. And it's taken a lot of time. But You want to get your centerpiece models right. Yeah, and I want to be able to proudly place him next to my giant, which I'm really proud of, Mm -hmm. you know, and things like that. So, And he will definitely be done by Rubicon because... It's the only thing you got to paint. Yeah, that's it. (laughs) That's the only thing I'm ready to go. So, yeah, that's been my hobby as well. I think we've both been pretty successful at keeping up and getting ready for this thing. We have an updated... Battle Tome roadmap. We got nine battle. Someone's getting fired. (laughs) Someone's getting very fired. Oh my God, Brendan. I was looking at that going between that and like GHB events we're going to. We're like set for shows for the rest of the year. (laughs) Really, when you think about it, that's huge. So for those of you that don't know, the Slaves of Darkness battle tome Mm -hmm. got very leaked. Somebody holding, it's certainly not the regular edition of the book. No. It's probably the limited edition. Mm-hmm. Yep. Photos from the inside of it, table of contents pages, photos of models, war scroll pages. You know when this battle tome comes out, Dan? Yeah. Merry Christmas. Winter. <laughs> Winter starting 2022. Oh, man. For the listeners, that is minimum seven months from now. Mm-hmm. Probably closer to eight plus. Yeah. Crazy. Someone's getting fired. <laughs> Very fired. Very fired. And on the positive thing with that, we did see a really cool Demon Prince model. We did get a new one, which is awesome. Yep. The mask is kind of weird to me. I can't quite figure out the face, but overall it looks very cool. I'm sure someone will figure out like a really easy head swap. And there's no way that like it doesn't have a bunch of different options in there. absolutely. Because, right, it's going to be a Demon Prince in... Age of Sigmar, and probably a multi-kit for 40k, you know, just mm. like Bellacor, where there's going to be like a, a couple of things that you can switch out, use yeah. them in both. It's a cool model. The thing that I'm most excited about is there is a version of the Ogroids that is just a unit. Oh, cool. The Ogroid Theradons. Really? The, yeah. A unit of them. A unit of them. Oh, that is really cool. They're the minotaurs we deserve. Yes. They are stellar. Wow. There's a new named character that the model got leaked of, the first blade of Bellacor, who's like a super Varengard kind of a thing. Oh, wow. Where he serves Bellacor, but he's, yeah, like it's super cool model. Don't really have much in terms of, you know, like obviously concrete rules because this is a book that's seven months out. But right, right. New Plastic Chosen, mm-hmm. you know, we'll probably get, you know, the start collecting Slaves of Darkness box, mm-hmm. how it's all push fit with the new warriors and the new knights. 
I imagine we get new kits for those that, mm-hmm. you know, are separate. I know it's tough to say, you know, hey, seven months from now, like this is your army, like this is something to be really excited for. Sure. It's cool. Yeah. But the other part of the roadmap is we know that we're getting obviously an order and a chaos army in the summer. Mm-hmm. And then in the fall, we're getting four books, two wow. destruction, an order and a chaos book. Yeah. Wow. There's no death armies in there, which obviously means that the roadmap is terrible and useless. Yes. <laughs> Sure. So anyway, that's kind of updated deal with the roadmap. Yeah. For pre-orders this week, we have the new version. I'm going to call it new version of Necromunda. So we've gone outside of the hive and we're in the... It's so pricey. Oh, it was like the last thing I saw was like $300 for the box. And it's... Wow. That's pretty high end. But it's there. And it's a different way to play Necromunda if you're interested. And then all the Harrow Deep stuff came out. We talked uh, Nether about Maze. That. Right. Nether Maze. Nether Maze. Okay. I thought the pre order for the Harrow Deep is out. Ha- Harrow Deep is the start of the season. Okay. Right? Gotcha. So this okay. is. And then we have seen, and we are happy to have seen, Nighthaunt is in the wild. Let's just put it that way. We have. We, everybody has access pretty much to mm. the book at this point. Obviously, I am just thrilled. I'm so excited to be able to talk about this thing. And I think it's going to change the order of our shows a little bit. We just had a discussion here. Yeah, as long as we have the books in hand yeah. after Vault Wars. Our next episode will Because you be. and I are both dead tree people. Like yeah. the, Being able to flip through it is where we gain a lot of our yep. ability to retain this information. Sure. So, Assuming we have them, and we're going to, depending on when it pre-orders. So assuming it pre-orders next weekend, we don't know this yet, but assuming it does, then we'll have it in hand by the time we get back from Vault Wars and that'll be great. Some really fun, exciting stuff in there. At least some wish listing that got fulfilled and yeah. very cool things. Being fulfilled, I think, is is underselling it. Yeah. Preview to opinion here. <laughs> I think the battle traits that the Night Haunt get are top three all-time mm. Age of Sigmar ever. 1.0, Top three all-time ever. Yeah. yeah. Incredible. Yep. So good. Mm-hmm. That 8.5 by 11 is packed. Yep. Top to bottom, left to right, with just excellent, excellent, excellent rules. Yep. Yeah. So <laughs> that's it for stuff that's come out or that's going to come out. Games played. I did, you know, my course, my little cursory Civ Beyond Earth thing a couple of times. The other thing that I tried online, which was really cool, is years ago, this guy named Steve Jackson put out a series of books called Sorcery. Those were the kind of books, Brendan, remember where, you know, it would have a narrative. You had Every paragraph had a number in the book. And you would, oh. be, you would be reading and all of a sudden it would say... The Guide Your Own Adventure. If you want to take the left door, go to number 54. You want to take the right door, go to 248. And there's a computer version of this. Mm. And I got to play a little bit of it. It was so satisfying and so cool. I had, still have the books. In fact, when we moved, you know, we had all this stuff we pulled out of places. And I found my three original books. Plus, there's that really cool mechanic. It is there's a spell book. And what you had to do... In the game, obviously, it's kind of a solo thing, so you don't have to. But you were supposed to look through the book and then close it. You couldn't use it while you were playing. You had to memorize the spells. Oh, wow. Which was fun because a lot of them were very intuitive. Like, they're all three-letter spells like Zap. Well, you could figure out that was a lightning spell, you know, or something else. Mm -hmm. But that's part of the game, too. Like, you get access to the book whenever you want it. But once you start playing, like, 
the program closes the book. You can't outfit it again. So that's kind of neat. Like Mm. a a real wizard would probably have to memorize a lot of things. So anyway, Steve Jackson's Sorcery, it's on Steam. And it was really, really fun. A lot of good times. So how about you with other than Sigmar stuff? I really haven't been playing any video games lately. Okay. It's just been a lot of painting and, you know. For sure. Trying to get that all done, you know, the decompress every once in a while with a game of NCAA 14 again because they're it's just an hour and boy, it's just mindless and I love it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah that's part of the reason we play games. And we got a Sigmar game in. Yeah, game is a pretty loose term. We did just Sylvaneth again, a different you know because part of the thing we're gonna talk about with Vault Wars once we go is there's it's a two list format again, mm-hmm. and you were trying out a different list and it was an interesting experience. I think at one point, you know, we decided if we got Hand of Dust off, it would have been a different game. I mean, you but, cast Hand of Dust, but yeah, I, it, I correctly picked... The Hand. Right? Yes. You um, were using Minagash against me. Yeah. The, <laughs> the odds were that good that I good. was going to... Pick the right hand. Mm, that's just the way it goes. Um, but it was pretty crushy, and you just in my face, and it was... Ah, brutal, ugly. Yeah. But things learned. Lessons learned. And in fact, one very important thing we're going to talk about later was learned. Durthu, one shot and a gash. Boom. Bonk. Boom. Yeah. So, you know, first combat, he killed zero chain rass. Second combat, he killed... All of Nagash. Yeah. yeah. 100%. I'd say that's a a good trade-off averaging out, yeah. 325-point hero, nearly 1,000 points of Dan's army. I'd say that did it, yeah. I don't know. I really like that list because that provides a good counterfactual to the Gnaw Root list that we'll talk about as we're talking about Spring Rubicon Mm -hmm. because this is a more high-damage output list Mm -hmm. than, than the other one. And... The way that Vault Wars works, it's not just straight two lists like what Nashcon is, where you just have to stay in the same book. It's you have to have 1,600 points of shared War Scrolls between mm-hmm. your two lists. So the exchanges you make have to be meaningful, but within a very limited scope, you're allowed to change your sub-factions, you're allowed to change your artifacts, you're allowed to change you know basically mm-hmm. everything else, but you have to have 1,600 points the same between your two lists. Mm-hmm. And so this one, I changed my whole sub-faction, I changed my general totally different artifacts a totally different approach you know i had a uh, three games yesterday and one you of did the, your one day yeah yeah one of them Cronspine, we'll talk about in a little bit very good very difficult to deal with if you're a combat army mm-hmm. durthu basically soloed an entire fire slayers army <laughs> Jeez. with his fight and melt away ability which yes. is objectively good yes Good. It's a good yeah. list. Yeah, yeah we Absolutely. played a practice game where you charged in with Nagash, dropped him bottom of one, and then you went, I think we can talk about how this game <laughs> <Yes>. ends. <laughs> there were lessons learned in terms of, basically that's what happened, but it was an issue of spacing, mm-hmm. positioning units, thinking really closely about base sizes, and those kind of things that I've learned now over four games, because I've only played four games with him. Mm-hmm. Well, five if you count this one i've learned those things i've learned when to and when not to you know engage him and here that was just desperation because of of the way that army worked i mean it was just in my face with a bazillion you know damage and i had to do something yeah so bonk if handed dust worked it would have been great if not man eh, okay yeah so all good then events well you had your one day yesterday yep, we had warfare in wales yesterday which is put on by austin as his kind of uh going away before he has his first kid bunch of us got together and we played some games in his basement and meat was cooked and beer was drank and <sighs> games were played. So I took both lists, Okay, but I went with the sole intent and purpose of playing my alternate list with, you know, which is the Durthu list. Yes. Just because I needed more practice with it. Sure. 
see it move around the table, understanding where my interactions are and how it is we go about servicing targets, basically. Obviously, it shares a lot of the same elements with the narrow root list, but it's a more aggressive play style. It's different. Where the narrow root list is very defense oriented and very, very patient, yeah, very, patient, very patient, very controlled. Now you can't be reckless with this other list, but you have the opportunity to push the pace a little bit more. Well, and it's nice because they're so dialectically opposed in terms of function mm-hmm. that you have such a great toolbox when you do come up against somebody at Vault Wars to be able to choose based on your opponent is really powerful since yeah. they are so different. You can handle so many more lists than you could otherwise. So that's really cool. That's the goal. Yeah. It's exactly right. So you did that yesterday. We have Vault Wars in two weeks. Mm -hmm. And then we still have the other list of things, ATC, Meltdown. We have NashCon. Coming up in June, the pre-orders for Dragonfall are going to come up. Okay. So, you know, you buy your VIP badges and stuff to get early access. Okay. So that's going to be at the Grand Geneva again. Okay. All right. Cool. Mm -hmm. Is Mark going to run it again? Yep. Mark Ramchick? Okay, great. Yep. He's going to be running the Age of Sigmar stuff. I don't know that he's settled on format or anything like that, but it's always a good time. I mean, it's nearby for me, so it makes it (sighs) real easy to go to. Sure. So that's it for Whispers, my friend. I think we're busy and there's a lot of things going on in the hobby and a lot of things to look forward to for sure. So... All right. Yep. Well, let us move on then to Emperor Lies. We're going to talk about Gur. We're going to talk about Rubicon and then uh, a couple other things. Man, what are we, a team? No, no, no. We're a chemical mixture that makes chaos. We're, we're a time bomb. We're back with Emperor Lies. I'm going to start out in uh, the Thondia book. Yeah. There's beastie things going on in Gur, and we're going to focus on the match play piece of this, which is the incarnates. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Brendan, why don't you at least start us off to what this is? And I'll start one step even more in front of that. Okay, sure. Is that this is a totally different battle pack than what's in your general's handbook. As a TO, you're going to have to make a decision on how you want to do this. I see three ways to potentially resolve this. Number one, you play out of your general's handbook, but allowing incarnates Mm -hmm. and not the other battalions and stuff that come along with it. Mm -hmm. You play it as just the, well, I mean, I guess it's maybe four, just the Thondia battle pack, which means that all the stuff in the general's handbook is thrown out, but there's a totally different like, so what you're saying is you don't get hunters, you don't get some other stuff. There is a hunters in here. Okay. There are battalions in the match play component of this. Okay. One of them is hunters, and it's, okay. it's basically the same. All right. And you play out of the Thondia battle pack. You do a combined battle pack, or you just do, I'm ignoring everything in Thondia. We're just still playing General's Handbook. Okay, sure. So it's a question of... How much of this extra stuff do you want to allow? Because this is truly a separate battle pack. So you are mm-hmm. not wrong as a TO for saying that this is not part of it because this is very clearly a separate set of rules, you know, locked behind a, what was this, a $45 book on top of your handbook, on top right. of your all your other rules. And then, you know, the Kronspine being... to buy. (laughs) Right, right. We have that. So we'll talk about some of the new stuff that gets introduced here. And then, you know, as we come across certain items that I think are warranted discussion on potential inclusion for directing of NETOs or competitive players that, you know, want to understand where the risk is in how it is you might want to play some of this. So incarnates. First off, I'm hopeful that this is the start of many different kinds of incarnates. Yep. I think that would be very neat. 
they're kind of like allies, but they're kind of not. They do have a pitch battle profile. They do have points. They do have battlefield roles. Mm-hmm. So the first most important thing to know is that you have to bond it to a hero. An incarnate must be bonded to a hero in the army it is part of. Bonding is an, to an incarnate is a unique enhancement. Right. Record which hero that incarnate is bonded to on your army roster. A hero. So in, just so I understand, in lieu of, let's say, an arcane tome, nope. giving them an artifact, nope. this is an enhancement. So how does this count as an enhancement in terms of how many you so can it's, take? So it's a unique enhancement. Okay. So a kind of unique enhancement is the Stormcast Special Command abilities. Got you. Okay. Yep. So you have the ones that you're going to get normally, and then you can have as many unique enhancements as you're permitted. So. Gotcha. This is a unique enhancement, which means it doesn't count against your artifacts. It doesn't count against your, you know, command traits. It doesn't count okay, against your mount traits. It's, it's its own thing. All right. Bonding is its own All right. bucket of nonsense. Okay, sure. A hero cannot be bonded to more than one incarnate, and an incarnate cannot be bound to more than one hero, which isn't a bad thing, given that a Kronspine incarnate of Gur is unique, so you couldn't have multiples of them, but the wording on that indicates that there will be more incarnates in the future. An army can include an incarnate, cannot include any other allied units. However, an incarnate can be included in an army even if its point cost exceeds the maximum number of points that you can spend on allies in the battle pack you are using. Sure. It gains a wild form. Mm-hmm. If the hero and incarnate is bonded to his slain, the incarnate reverts to its wild form. An incarnate in wild form remains part of your army, but it treats other <laughs> units in your army as enemy units, and other units in your army treat it as an enemy unit. In addition, special rules apply to an incarnate in its wild form, as described on its war scroll on the right. You don't want this thing going wild. No. <laughs> you do not want that happening. No, no, no. So, <laughs> so once it goes wild, it can't go back? It's just there forever. Yeah, it's just wild. <laughs> yeah. We got that going for it, which yep. is something. So incarnates don't have wounds in the conventional sense. They have different levels. States, they call states. them, I think. Yep. Yes. Each state has a level and a domination range. An incarnate starts the battle at level two. It's primal states. Right. Goes up to level three and down to level zero. Mm-hmm. And when you're down to level zero, you're removed. And when you're at level three, you're really tooled up and... Oh my. Pretty good. Yep. Under certain circumstances, an incarnate's level can go up or down. When this happens, their state changes to that. For example, if an incarnate's level went from two to three, it would go from primal to empowered. The name of it doesn't matter. You just have to know what band you're on. Right. It's your table bracketing, but it's variable and moves throughout the game. Okay. So wounds are allocated to incarnate in the same way as they are to any other model. However, because an incarnate does not have a wounds characteristic, it cannot be slain. Instead, in the battle shock phase, if any wounds are allocated to incarnate, its commanding player rolls 3d6. The roll is less than or equal to the number of wounds allocated to the incarnate. Its level is reduced by one. Mm-hmm. So if you do a bunch of wounds to it, it becomes very difficult for it to pass that test. If you do a few wounds, it's not difficult for it to pass that test. Sure. And that occurs in the battle shock phase. Okay. If you pass it, then all of the wounds allocated to the incarnate are healed. An incarnate is treated as having a wounds characteristic of 18 for mm-hmm. all rules purposes other than determining if it is slain. If an incarnate is affected by an ability that slays the target without any wounds or mortal wounds being allocated, then the level of the incarnate goes down by one instead. You can't dusty hand it off the table, but you nope. can dusty hand it down a level. Right. You know, it's cool. So they all have their own war scrolls. They all spell out how their bonding works. They all spell out their empowerment method, and they all state how wild form works. Okay. So there's only one right now. So we only have to talk about one, and that is the Kron Spine Incarnate of Gur. Again, 400 points, a behemoth, single, and unique. And uh, it does have the monster keyword as well. It does have the yep. monster keyword. So it starts with its profile being 12-inch range, 4-up save, bravery 10. 
Mm-hmm. Not bad. It's got two weapons profiles. It's got its vicious claws, which is one inch range, six attacks, and the number of attacks is increased by the level that it's at. So it's really anywhere between seven and nine. Mm-hmm. Three's to hit, three's to wound, rend two, damage two. That's solid. Good. Pretty good. Tearing fangs, two inch range, one attack, which you add the level two. So anywhere between two and four, which are threes by twos, rend three, damage four. Wow. <laughs> Ouch. It flies. Yep. Which, you know, <laughs> I know everyone's surprised. Woo-hoo. It spells out its bonding rules. This incarnate can only receive commands issued by the hero it is bonded to. Okay. Fair. If the all attack command is received by the incarnate, the command is also received by all friendly units that are wholly within domination range. And at level one, it's eight inches. At level two, it's 10. And at level three, it's 12. So somewhere between 8 to 12, wholly within. Mm-hmm. Yep. So that's all friendly units that are wholly within domination range would Correct. get all-out attack, which is yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah. Unless it goes to its wild form, and then yeah. <laughs> then you wish you were wholly within 12. <laughs> and obviously that have to be within three inches of an enemy unit. Hmm. You can't use this as a fire base for yeah. like a shooting army, and they can't have already received a command in that phase. Okay. Fine. You add one to casting, dispelling, and unbinding rolls for a wizard that is within domination range of an incarnate they are bound to. Nice. Yeah. Can't hate that. Useful. Yeah. Empowerment. If a monster is slain by wounds inflicted by this incarnate's attacks, increase this incarnate's level by one. Excellent. In its wild form, you add one to hit rolls for attacks made by this incarnate while it is in its wild form, which brings it to twos and threes or twos and twos. This incarnate can run and still charge. Gross. It's already got a 12-inch movement. Yep. So. But, you know, this has to be in its wild form, so it's not in your stuff. It has to, like, this is when it goes rogue. And if it goes rogue, the other thing I thought was interesting is it has to charge either an endless spell or a unit, right? Mm-hmm. If it can, yep. uh, once it's wild. So if this incarnate is in its wild form and is within 12 inches of a unit or an endless spell, at the start of your charge phase, it must attempt a charge and must make a charge move if it is possible for it to do so. And the designer's note here is remember that an incarnate in its wild form treats other units in your army as enemy units, so it may be forced to charge and attack those units. Right. So then it has this rule in Flame Savagery. Mm-hmm. Uh, the following effects apply to all units that are wholly within the domination range of this incarnate, which again is 8 to 12, depending on your mm-hmm. level. The unit's commanding player can reroll run and charge rolls for the unit mm-hmm. if you're wholly within domination range of the incarnate. Units cannot retreat if they are wholly within domination range. Okay. Yeah. If a unit is a wizard that is not bonded to the incarnate, subtract one from casting, unbinding, and dispelling rolls for that wizard if it's wholly within range of the incarnate. Okay. It is an arcane predator. In your charge phase, if this incarnate is within 12 inches of an endless spell that was summoned by an enemy wizard, it can attempt to charge and make a charge move as long as that charge finishes within half an inch of an enemy model or endless spell that was summoned by an enemy wizard. In addition, this incarnate can carry out the Devour Endless Spell Monstrous Rampage below. And this is why, at first, I'm like, oh, this is exciting. I can cast a really cheap Endless Spell with, like, a casting value of three. But, oh, no, it's enemy wizards. Yeah, so. got to be enemy wizards. Darn it. And it doesn't come without risk. So the Devour oh, yeah. Endless Spell is a Monstrous Rampage. You pick one Endless Spell that is summoned by an enemy wizard and is within three inches of this incarnate and roll 2d6. Add this incarnate's level to the roll. If the roll is greater than the casting value of the spell used to summon that Endless Spell, that Endless Spell is dispelled and the level of this incarnate is increased by one. On any other roll, the level of this incarnate is reduced by one. The fact that you can add the level is very helpful because on average it'll probably be two at least to start. And most spells, what, are in the maybe five to six? Five to seven range. Yeah. Your chances of doing that are pretty decent. But as you said, there's a risk reward here Mm -hmm. if you don't make it. So if you never engage in something that drops your level by one, 
you are on the table for a minimum of two combats. Mm-hmm. Minimum. No matter what. Because you can't be removed in one go. You would need to have two abilities that remove a, a model from a table back to back. Or, mm-hmm. you know, it drops its level and then you kill it in the combat phase. Sure. Whoops. Part of the strength of this is that it is guaranteed to be on the table for at least two combat phases. Most armies have to deal with it in the combat phase. And we just talked about how good its offensive capabilities are. You're going to take a licking by being on the other side of this thing. (laughs) Every army has access to it, which is good, which is useful. It's not about 400 points, isn't that right, for this? I think that's what I saw. It's 400 points, 400 points, yeah. Where I think this is really interesting is armies that don't have... Very few that don't, but there are some armies that don't have access to monsters. Sure. And so this would be a great option at 400 points. I get it. But man, as you're saying, this is pretty It's very difficult to deal with. To deal with it safely, you have to either deal with it at range, you know, to do enough wounds where, Mm -hmm. you know, it's going to fail that role. Because you have to do wounds in big chunks. You can't just do Mm -hmm. a couple of wounds because it, it resets every Battleshock phase. Or do the damage with not monsters. Because if you kill the monster, he levels up, and then maybe you've done a bunch of damage to it next, and then it drops the level back down, so you're back to even. It's just a wash. Right. You thought you did good. You thought you did good work, and all of a sudden, it's all undone. Yeah. (laughs) And now you got to figure out how to go deal with it. Now sans a big, scary monster that you Mm -hmm. paid a lot of points for. Sure. Cool. It's super scary. It's tough. It is going to be a very tough thing to deal with. Let's talk about some of the other core rule components here, Dan. Okay, sure. It's like in your general's handbook where you get the region of war, which was just Gur. Sure. So you get some other things. And this is where I would jump in as a TO and say, really pay attention to what it is that you've signed up for here, because Mm -hmm. two of the things remain the same. Metamorphosis is the same, and your feral roar is the same. Okay. Cool. If you're playing in Thondia, though, you get monstrous denizens. After the battlefield has been set up, but before territories have been assigned, the players roll off. The winner can set up one monster unit within three inches of the center of the battlefield. This model is referred to as a monstrous denizen. Any monster from any faction can be chosen if it is not part of either player's army. Okay, so we'll think about that for just a second. At the start of each battle round, before determining priority, the players roll off. In that battle round, the winner of the roll-off treats the monstrous denizen as a unit in their army, and their opponent treats it as an enemy unit. The monstrous denizen's commanding player can choose to attack it, but if they do... Until the end of that battle round, they treat it as an enemy unit and their opponent treats it as a unit of their own army. The monstrous denizen cannot attack itself. Brendan, this is giving me flashbacks to Meltdown a few years ago. Yeah. That's, that's almost exactly what this is like. I mean, it is. Yeah. This is where I would say this is not something I'd be super interested in having be in my tournament. Mm-hmm. Because you know someone might bring something like... A tree lord at 180 points, which is a very manageable war scroll. Mm-hmm. There's not too much to it. You'd be like, oh, cool. It's neat. It's different. Or someone would bring, I don't know, a mega gargant. And now the two you got to deal with that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like just the range of having to deal with this. And like, yeah, it's a double-edged sword because your opponent can win the role and control it and turn mm-hmm. it against you. Right. Or you can win the role, yeah. and you can control it. I think the way to mitigate that, at some level at least, is if you're a TO, you need to provide a model for each table. And so that the players aren't choosing, to your point, what 
they're going to invest or what that thing is. You yeah. know, is it a tree lord or is it a giant? You just make it a thing. You put it there and now people wrestle for it. That mm-hmm. kind of a thing. I mean, that's the way to make it fair. Yeah. You know, make it balanced and not so random. It's an interesting mechanic. You know, and again, as a TO, you can decide if you want this or not. You can say, yes, we're going to do these realm rules with the exception of this thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The other bit of it is if that monster normally has a rider, the rider doesn't exist and doesn't count. Right. You can have an incarnate be a monstrous denizen. If it does, it starts in its wild form. In addition, you get a totally different table of mysterious terrain than what <laughs> you're normally used to. You know, one of them is roll again. Uh, <laughs> you've got thrashing gnarl loke roots. Mm-hmm. It's basically deadly terrain. Sure. Yeah. You've got itcher moss. Each time, again, wow, this is a, a whole paragraph. Each time a unit sets up or finishes a normal move, run, retreat, or charge within one inch of any terrain feature with this rule, roll a dice on a one that unit is infested with itcher moss. For the rest of the battle, add one to charge rolls for the unit and add one to hit rolls for attacks made with melee weapons by that unit, but subtract one from casting, dispelling, and binding rolls for that unit. Subtract one for save rolls for attacks the target unit, and subtract one for hit rolls for attacks made with melee weapons. A unit cannot be infested with itcher moss more than once. Well, that's a lot of things to remember. Right, sure. You've got the barb sniffer weed spheres. In your shooting phase, you can roll a dice for each terrain feature with the scenery rule. Or on a six, you can pick one enemy unit within 2d6 of that terrain feature. That enemy unit suffers d3 mortal wounds. Yeah, okay. Gurish realmstone deposit. While they're wholly within six inches of any terrain feature with this rule, units are filled with bestial fury. Add one to charge rolls for those units and add one to hit rolls for attacks made with melee weapons by those units. But subtract one from casting, dispelling, and binding rolls. Yep. And subtract one from save rolls for attacks made with those units. Subtract one from hit rolls for missile weapons. It's your moss, but less bad and less good. <laughs> and then the wellspring of primordial energy. While they're within three inches of any terrain feature with this rule, wizards know the wild form spell and can attempt to cast in addition to any other spells. Wild form is a spell with the casting value of a five. Range of 12. If successfully cast, pick a friendly unit within range and invisible the caster. Add two to charge and run rolls for the unit you pick until your next hero phase. Okay. Again, but it's a separate set of rules. Yes. That you have to have on top of literally everything that you're dealing with to this point. And you've talked about layering and how that can become really tough to manage. Yeah. In terms of rules. And that's what you're doing here if you're not careful and how you want to apply this. I guess for me, the nice thing about this is as a TO or any kind of event, you know, if it's not competitive even, you can pick and choose. You know, you're the one making the decisions of which rules you want to use. You can put as much in or not as you want. You know, what do you think is valuable? What do you think adds the least amount of complexity to an already complex game? So that is the one mitigating feature of this, I think. Yeah. And then we have core battalions. We have a couple of those, right? You, you end up with new things for match play if you're playing out right. of this battle pack. You get right. new core battalions. Hunters of the Heartland is the same. It's okay. identical. Instead of the Alpha Beast pack, you have the Monstrous Kill pack, which is <laughs> two mandatory behemoths and then one optional one gaining prime predators. Once per battle at the end of the charge phase, all of the monsters in this battalion can carry out the titanic dual monstrous rampage. They cannot carry out any other monstrous rampages, and no other friendly monster can carry out the titanic dual monstrous rampage in that phase. Okay. Fine. Whatever. Yeah. Then you've got the Incarnate Masters of Gur, which is actually pretty good. It's a one-drop deployment. The Incarnate in this battalion must be bonded to the hero in this battalion. Uh, sorry, because it's a Incarnate, a commander, one mandatory troop, and two optional troops. Mm-hmm. In addition, the incarnate in this battalion only reverts to its wild form once all of the other units in this battalion have been destroyed. Wow, pretty good. Is good. That is good. Yeah. It's good. Depending on what you pick for troops and stuff, that could be almost impossible to have it go wild, which is really cool. You get new grand strategies. 
you have a bunch of ones that are the same. So you still have Sever the Head. You still have Hold the Line. You still have Vendetta. Monstrous Presence is the same as Beastmasters, except you have to have more monsters on the battlefield <laughs> okay. than there are of your opponent's monsters. So sure. similar but different. Doable. You have Ruler of Mysteries, which is really similar to Dominating Presence, but you have to control Thondia, Mysterious Terrain, Scenery oh. than your specifically. Okay. Fair. Then you have Lord of the Incarnates. When the battle ends, you complete this grand strategy. If there are any Incarnates from your starting army on the battlefield that have not reverted to their wild form. Okay. And you get totally new battle tactics. I mean, like, this is just so frustrating. You really can't blend the two. I guess you could, but so many of these deal with something being bonded to an Incarnate, doing something with an Incarnate. Yeah, you can achieve them, you know, without. But you need the Incarnate. You really do. If you're yeah, do where, where before it was about monsters right mm-hmm. where you know yeah we'll talk about not every army has equal opportunity access to monsters yeah everybody has equal opportunity access to this 400 point model that is locked into a 220 dollar you know terrain well, box and that's the issue yeah 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 so you know you can do all these well not all of them but because some of them are pick an enemy incarnate you know pick a hero that an incarnate is bonded to it's kind of like you're locking this behind a paywall in a way mm-hmm. we, we have enough stuff we have to deal with already it's interesting it's cool you know for options the incarnate is wonderful yeah it's a really really cool change up and again for armies that don't have access to something with a monster keyword it could be really really valuable and a fun way to play but you're going to have to make that investment if you're going to do it. Or yeah. find a friend who loved the terrain but isn't going to play an incarnate. It does come with six new missions. Mm-hmm. I haven't flipped through them very closely to say how much I like or dislike any of them okay. in terms of the potential use of them in tournament play. Okay. It's a firm maybe. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll definitely sit down and go through them and see if there's any that really jump out. But you know, these are match play missions. Yeah, sure. It's totally legit to use them if you want as a TO. I would say be cautious. They are more complicated. There's a lot of extra rules on all of these and they lack some of the universalness of some of the things that come out of the handbook. Right. Scoring mechanics are very different and again, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just, they're just very, very, very different. Okay. So that's Thondia, yeah? I guess. I mean, okay. you know, it's a rousing cell of enthusiasm. <laughs> like, the Incarnate's good, but it poses a very difficult position for tournament organizers mm-hmm. where there is this kind of supplemental thing. It's truly earnestly supplemental. How do you interact with it? How do you use it? How do you allow the integration of it under kind of a normal circumstance. Like, what is the middle way, right? Because I don't think that your two extremes are right, where it's, we're just playing straight out of the General's Handbook, you ignore all of this. Mm -hmm. And the other extreme is we're playing out of the Thondia, you know, battle pack. Everything. I mean, that's the extreme, is you're playing... Yeah, playing everything out of the Thondia battle pack, everything is fair game, all of it everywhere is is legit. Mm -hmm. There's some middle ground. I don't totally know what it is. The way I lean is have access to the incarnate have access to the kill pack mm-hmm. have access to the masters of gur and that's it not using any of the new grand strategies not using any of the new battle tactics maybe the missions maybe 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 but mm-hmm. i'd lean towards no because none of them are like actually objective based they're all activity based sure and uh, it's tough to plan for so yeah that's thondia all right listeners Here's to five miserable months on the wagon.
and all the irreparable harm that it's caused me. So we're moving on, and we are going to talk about a one-day event, Brendan, that we went to here locally. It was like, what, 10 minutes from both our houses, really close. And it was called Spring Rubicon, mm-hmm. hosted by the gentleman from the Dias Cast, yep. which is a local gaming group here in the Milwaukee, West Bend area. Just a lot of fun. It was, I think overall, it was a great setup. I think the two guys... Yeah, Nick and Sean, who ran it, did a great job. They were around looking at how things were going, making sure everything was going well. And it wasn't that much. I think we had, what, 18, 20 people? Yeah, about that. Yeah, so it wasn't a big event, but just really well run. One of the things I really enjoyed about it was the scoring sheet. Although there were some improvements, we gave feedback. I just love having that sheet on the table. And every turn, the two opponents can kind of verify with each other to make sure everything's the way it should have been. Mm-hmm. I know from one of my games, the guy was like, oh, well, didn't you get that point? Another game, I was like, hey, didn't you get those two points? You didn't put them down. You know, And it was really nice to have that kind of interaction, even in a competitive environment. Yeah. And to really be able to track where you were from a lot of different perspectives, not just victory points. Sure. I really like that. And I'm hoping that more events would use something like that. Obviously, the, one of the main issues was to customize it for each individual mission to make Mm. sure you catch all the little pieces and parts for scoring and stuff yeah it was great to see some people we knew of course that was always great in fact i played one of our friends in my first game so uh, how about you overall what was your impression and thoughts on it i liked it they did a really good job of advertising it as you know just kind of more chilled out it was two weeks after adepticon and they didn't want everyone coming in you know knives out (laughs) and i'd say by and large people you know, kind of met that expectation Mm -hmm. and a lot of real middle of the road kind of armies and attitudes. That was nice. It was just nice to have some time to play some dice. And I obviously needed some practice with my Vault War stuff. So having some games where what I think is going to probably be a similar style of field for the most part. Now, the difference is there's going to be some people that totally ignore the underdog stuff and are there, you know, ready to push people's faces in with the meanest thing that they got. It happens. Fine, but I'm there to play with my underdog and overachiever list and hopefully be successful in that endeavor. And just to your point, it was great getting those three games in with Nagash. And I had one game with him with you, which was just like the last one, pretty short, but... I could tell through those three games during the day, I was really picking up on things and doing things differently. Mm-hmm. And right away, like in game two, when I told you about the mistake I made, was like in game three, I mean, I used Nagash, I think, really well in that game. If I could use him like I did in game three again at Vault Wars, I think I'll do okay. But it was neat to learn as I was playing that day and, and be able to have that practice. So sure. that was a great thing. So why don't we talk about our games a little bit? Why don't you start with your game one and we'll kind of alternate and... Yeah. Talk about how things went. So I'll talk about the list that I'm running first to give context Mm -hmm. for what it is. Is I'm running Sylvaneth, running Naurut. So this is what I'm considering to be my prime list, quote unquote, for Vault Wars. It's got your Warsong General, who's tooled up to do all the cool exploding stuff. You roll 3d6, you pick whichever two you want. You always pick the two highest. (laughs) Command trait where, you know, you can heal you or somebody nearby once per hero phase when you cast stuff. Have a Tree Lord Ancient. Mm-hmm. Have a branch wraith, have a unit of 20 dryads, two units of five tree revenants, unit of six sized, unit of three sword hunters, and a tree lord all in a one drop battalion. Looking to control the board, dictate the pace, you know, set it up because I've got the umbral spell portal to get the spell off the war song upfield. Mm hmm. 
I've got cogs so that I don't have to worry about so much the casting crunch that comes along mm-hmm. with kind of all the things you want to do and the spite swarm hive to either add defense or add offense because you can either give your plus ones to save for everything wholly within eight inches or you can give plus three inches to move plus three inches to charge for yeah. all your stuff As wholly within. you did with your other list yep I so you know in the first turn you'll typically give the plus three to charge you'll set a tree up up field and try and and get out there and yep. and go do some work. Yeah, your size, man. Those th- those six guys are just they're beefy. brutality. Yes. Yeah. They're, they're super beefy. So in my first game, I was playing Flesh Eater Quartz Grisselgore, mm-hmm. where he had a Ghoul King on Terrorgeist, an Arch Regent, a Vargulf, two units of six Crypt Horrors, mm. and then a unit of Ghouls and two Terrorgeists. Oh, wow. So three Terrorgeists in the unit in the list all together three total yeah okay i got my butt kicked <laughs> he summoned on vargulf and crypt flayers and he made just all game his dice were incredible like it mm. was can't fault the guy he landed all the charges he needed to land wow you know he rolled a ton of sixes on his fanged maw attacks mm-hmm. sylvan hate mortal wounds like i was tabled top of one like mm-hmm. this was Wow. Yeah. yeah. For you, that's very, very unusual. Well, there's not much I could do, right? right? You know, it's the combination of things that I really don't want to see. An army that is both faster than I am mm. and its primary source of damage is mortal wound output. I mean, that chews through scythe hunters, that chews through sword hunters, that chews through tree lords, it chews through tree lord ancients. Like, yep. it's the only thing that that doesn't really hit too hard is the war song. Because mm-hmm. the war song has a four up ward save. Right. But the war song is only seven wounds. I just really didn't do hardly anything to him. I mean, heck, my side hunters went in to go kill his Ghoul King on Terrorgeist, mm-hmm. and I lost three or four Kurnoths in return. Ugh. Like, they killed him, and then he fought back because the Arch Regent has a spell for plus D3 attacks. Mm-hmm. He rolled plus three every single time he cast it on something. <laughs> oh, like Ugly, ugly. It's the way it goes. Yeah. Got, it's a like, nice game. Yeah. This so nice game. my game in that respect was very short. Okay. I got my face pushed in and I knew what I took, right? This yeah. isn't a, you just got to live with it and yeah. moved on. So, you know, well played by him, right? Yeah. To keep pushing the pace and take advantage of, you know, the different positions I kept getting put in and mm-hmm. hey man, that's the way it goes. Truth. All right. So my list was a Nagash haunt list. Mm-hmm. So Nagash, obviously. And then I took Rykonor, a Dripblade Harrow, and a Guardian for my heroes. And then I took a unit of 20 Chain Rasps and three units of 10 Chain Rasps. And I took the Terminexus. And of course, if you take Nagash, you got to take Umbral Spell Portal. So that was kind of my army. Not a lot other than Nagash. Of course, you would expect that if he's half the points of the army. And my first game was against our friend Mark Ramchek. And he brought a big wog. <laughs> oh my God, Brendan. This is kind of like you, where you're looking going, oh my God. He brought two Maw Crushes mm-hmm. and four units of three Gorgrunas. Okay. He had the two War Chanters and then he had his Shaman. But I'm looking and he tell you know he's explaining what what is destroyer because he's got one of his ball crushers is a destroyer and I'm going oh my god I I can't go anywhere like there's no place to run no place to hide kind of a thing and he went first boom he was in my face turn one I looked at that knew what was coming it was like I have to just figure out how to endure this wave that first turn yeah you know? but it was just brutal man 
everything was in my face. And I'm going, what do I do? I adjusted and I tried to use hand, by the way, it didn't work. And he pushed me back into a corner. I was able to shift out of the corner with a dread blade. I was able to move a unit out and do a few things, take out a few Gorg runners. But overall, the thing with it was funny was that I only lost by a point. So it was actually relatively close. Mm-hmm. The other thing that I need to talk about, and this is really important, is Brendan mentioned at the beginning of the podcast that we're going to make an apology. So Dan made a really important discovery about Nagash when you and I played when our I practice game. I did 18 game. damage with Durthu to Nagash. Yes. Yes. Specifically now, that, that Brendan, moment. This is Nagash. He's not mm-hmm. only the Lord of the Undead, he's the supreme Lord of the Undead. Mm-hmm. Nagash listeners, and probably 99% of you knew this, but Dan... Because we covered it on the show. Yeah, he never played Nagash before. He has a four-up ward against Mortal Wounds. Correct. But the Supreme Lord of the Undead has no ward save. Correct. No regular ward save. The apology is to all my opponents, who I lost to all of them, by the way, so that mitigates this a little bit, but I was rolling a ward save for Nagash, and I'm like, well, of course he has a ward save. He's the Supreme Lord of the Undead. Every single other freaking hero in the Death you know, Grand Alliance has a ward save. Correct. Except for Nagash. Yep. Oh, it's come dumb. on, man. So if you have my phone, text me. If you have my email, email me. If you see me at Vault Wars or anywhere else, just say, hey, Dan, did you know that Nagash doesn't have a ward save? Yeah, I do know that. Okay. You do know now. Oh, my God. So again, apologies to everybody. It just... It's just so stupid. It's just dumb. Yes, Brendan, we agreed the other night that it is stupid. It is dumb. Like, who wrote his war scroll that you couldn't put one little line on there? This model has a six-up ward save. Why could you not do that? It just makes no sense. That being said, great game. I've never played Mark before, so that was really fun to play him. And I came out of it overall thinking that actually wasn't that bad if it only lost by a point, Mm -hmm. considering (laughs) what happened and the fact that he was just in my face right away. Kind of like your experience in the first game. Yep. I didn't get tabled. It, we played out the whole time. I think it was 245 mm-hmm. we were playing per round. There was one mitigating thing. So Terminexus is another mandatory take in a Nighthawn army. I'm just telling you, man. For right now. Yeah, for now. Because it helped me take out both of his War Chanters and his Shaman. You know, picking off those D3 wounds. And once, you're, up. once you're into them, if they're down to one or two wounds, you're going to kill them. And so that was really cool that every opponent that whole day when I cast Terminexus and it did what it did, they were like, that thing is really annoying. It was like something it everybody's... Is. It very much is. <laughs> it's not the first time when we were at Nashcon, uh, it took out some you know, or heroes as well. So that was kind of fun to have that happen at least while I was getting crushed by all that other stuff. Game two. Yes, sir. Was the three objectives on the diagonal mission mm-hmm. where you do a little bit of corner deployment. Mm-hmm. I got to play against monster trucks. Two Frost Lords on Stonehorn, Stonehorn Beast Rider, Ooh. Huskard on Snowball, three units of two Mornfang packs. Wow, okay. Another fast army, does a fair bit of damage off the Mortal Wounds. Quite a bit less, though, because one of the things that my list does really well is I can add to my save by quite a bit. Mm-hmm. I out to play him. I give him the first turn because he's not really going to be able to just the way the terrain was set up, get a bunch of his stuff into mine. Okay. He does manage top of one to land one Frost Sword on Stonehorn into my six Scythe Hunters. Ends up killing four of them. Oh, okay. But he kills them in such a way where I get out of combat. So bottom of one, start of the hero phase, I use all these command points that I have, and I rally back two of the four. 
Mm. Oh, wow. Good. Good job. Yeah. Yes. So then I proceed to turn around and go, well, this was lovely and fun, sir. However, you need to die. <laughs> and so my Kernoths and True and Ancient dogpile onto that Frostlord on Stonehorn. I had my Tree Lord Ancient out to my right. He just steals that objective because he's five. And then, you know, he only had four wound, you know, four models worth of cap on that. Sure. Like, Tree Lords are kind of squishy. Don't want to get into too big of a fight here. We'll take what we get. Warsong gets his spell portal out. You know, does a little bit of damage here in that first turn, right? He's only plus right. three to cast at that point. Yep. Not a big deal. Then I double into two. <laughs> and I go out with my horde of Kurnoth hunters and my Tree Lord Ancients. Yes. And kill his second oh. Frostlord on Stonehorn in the middle. Nice. My dryads that I'd sent out to the left to try and go get that objective kept being repulsed by mm -hmm. the you know, the two Mornfang that were sitting over there. Sure. But then bottom of three, he turns around his Stonehorn Beast Rider, which was out towards my left side, back to the middle to go deal with this mob that I have. And then his Huskard on Snowball comes in. A fight ensues with the True Lord Ancient out to the right with the other four Mornfang. Middle holds because, man, Kurnoths are beefy. Yes. They get plus one to save from the aura that the True Lord Ancient kicks out. They're always considered to be in range of that. So that gives them a two up at so, that point. Well, so it's plus one save right there. Right. They put their feet in the ground at the start of the charge phase, right. you know, because obviously in my opponent's charge phase, I'm probably not going to be interested in the three inch pile and I'm much more interested in the plus one save. Mm -hmm. I can Mystic Shield. I can all out defense. Like, <sighs> yeah. Pretty tough to deal with. Mm -hmm. Pretty good. Pretty beefy. Hang in there. We fight. And then I win priority into three. The war song goes up to plus up. seven to cast. Yep. Roll an 11 on my dice. Oh. So I'm at 18. I zero Ouch. the Huskard on Snowball with yep. that spell. Yep. The Mornfang is brought down to like one or two wounds, which ends hilariously for me. And then the Stonehorn that's over there has like two wounds left. Mm. Just dogpile, you know, that last Stonehorn Beast Rider. Mm -hmm. The Tree Lord Ancient is making work of those Mornfang for some reason. And then I send my Tree Revenants over. I got to do like two wounds to this Mornfang. Mm. Tree Revenants, you know, they're all right. Send them in. I don't land with the other unit. Bit of a bummer. It's the way it goes. Yeah. But I do nothing to it. And then he swings back and kills me. Oh. Because, you know, the very injured Stonehorn Beast Rider that's over there, I'm not worried about. It's not going to do enough damage to all of this stuff. I have a commanding control of the middle objective. Well, okay. he had pulled the middle objective. I have a commanding control of the middle of the field where I can go up to the right or I can go down to the left later. I know I control my top right and I'm trying to gain control of the bottom left one here. Mm -hmm. you know, so he swings back, really doesn't do anything. And then that stupid Mornfang just totes the five tree revenants. And oh. he's effectively tabled at this point and we just score the game out and, and go from there. But okay. the war song had one very specific moments in time where it tossed down a clutch roll and just cleared the board and did what the war song was supposed to really making up for the lack of performance game one okay awesome oh. that is awesome my game two was against alex and his idneth mm -hmm. which was really interesting he had a uh, lotan which was cool he had an Ar aurelian king he had the eidolon that's the magic user mm -hmm. 
and he had a Leviathan. So those are all his big things. He had a unit of 10 and a unit of 20 thralls, and he had a shark. So that's what I was facing off against. Not so bad. Uh, I thought I could deal with that. And so he kind of pushed really hard on my left. I had my group of 20 chain rasts there with the Guardian. So I was also in Rikonor's condemned at the time so I could get 2d6 back the gash was on the table I could get another four back that unit was really resilient it took a lot of hits but I was really worried about that leviathan coming up the middle I handed it off it was the first time I'd ever gotten hand to go off and what that did to Dan was get him so darn excited that he was like the gash is awesome I'm just gonna go out there and Put him in, you know, put him in harm's way because that's so much smarter than putting him behind a screen of chain rest. That makes so much more sense. Well, 20 thralls come up. The Killian King comes up. <laughs> like, that was just so stupid, man. You could have hung back there, cast another hand. You could have done all kinds of other mortal wounds because the stuff was close enough. And just leave him back there until stuff is so beat up that you can jump on him. Mm-hmm. You know, and that was the other thing I learned in that game was, again having not played him much, how powerful Arcane Bolt is. Yes. And how to use it either as an offensive weapon, have it ready for when you you know get locked in, or use it as a defensive weapon and kind of have a lightning shield around you. So if somebody does charge you, you just let all those things go off and you know they really take a hit when they come in. So I did that a little bit and realized what it was. And it's like, you idiot. You know, I should have done that earlier. But anyway, he had the Achillean King come in on one side. He had the 20 Thralls come in on the other. Lotan was there. They were pumped up. Last episode, we just talked about how brutal thralls can be and they took Nagash down to like one or two wounds I don't remember what it was he took 15 of them off though which was pretty good wasn't enough I killed the Achillean king but he still had that Eidolon full bore mm. you know he so once Nagash of course when Nagash goes in this list the army is becomes pretty, very difficult yeah to come back. He had taken my hero off. Overall, again, I lost by one point in that game. It was really, really close. But I learned about Arcane Bolt. I learned about positioning with Nagash. It was very instructive. And Alex was a great player. And, you know, when the Hand of Dust went off, we had all kinds of fun laughing about that and all those kind of other things. And I also got some practice playing against Eidneth. And not being able to attack certain things or strike first rules and things like that were really helpful for me. And I had a little bit of that because you had done that with your list. I think you had strike first in some of your stuff when we played a practice game. So I'm really more aware of that now and understand what I can do. Plus, I use Soul Cage a little more effectively which balances things out, you know, because I'm going to give you strike last. So it was a really good game. And again, if I hadn't gotten so darn excited (laughs) when I had my first hand of dust ever go off. So that was my second game. And again, very instructive, had a lot of fun. Alex was a great opponent and again, very close. I'm happy with that. Yeah. You know, even if I'm losing, if I'm coming close like that, then I'm doing okay. How about your game three, my friend? So game three, I played against Nurgle which was a Glotkin. That's funny because I played the Nurgle list too. That's yeah. funny. We were on the table next to each other. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. It was the Glotkin. It was the named War Stomper. Mm-hmm. It was three units of five Blight Kings. Ooh, yeah. Was it one unit of 10? Well, there was a fair few Blight Kings and a Chaos Spawn. And so I was like, cool, an army that's just as slow as I am. <laughs> Um, <laughs> right. I have the slight speed advantage and I have the ability to teleport. And so this is the six objectives where you can burn your opponent yes. for an additional one. Mm-hmm. The way I approach it is like, cool. He's going to have to stick around on these objectives like or else. Mm-hmm. And I can deal with him 
piecemeal, mm. and I got to figure out how I'm going to get to the score more categories. Plus, you had the guys, you had your teleporters. Mm-hmm. So if he did leave something open, you could gonna opportunistically go, gonna go take it. Yep, exactly. Great. Exactly, exactly, exactly. So one of the things he didn't realize and, you know, didn't come up until I explained that the Mega Gargants are only count as 20 or 30 when they're in the Sons of Bayamut Allegiance. Mm, Right. When they're not in Sons of Bayamut, they count as five. Mm -hmm. So all I need is six Dryads. And he didn't understand that at the time. Right. I let him go first. He pushed up hard on my left to walk him through scoring his battle tactic real quick. Mm-hmm. So, sure. like, I could tell, like, from the early stages of it that there was going to need to be quite a bit of patience on my side. Mm-hmm. That, you know, he was still learning some of the elements of this. You know, scores his battle tactic, yeah. hold one, hold two, gets his battle tactic, fine. Then I just kind of push things back, do this, like, retreat maneuver to consolidate mm. into a corner. I... Try to set up my launch pad to send my Kurnoths into my right on his side objective, which was being defended by two units of five Blight Kings, and the Glotkin was in the middle. Oh, yeah. Pretty beefy. He maintains priority into two, comes over, steals my left objective, chooses to not burn it. Okay. Kind of weird. Not a big deal. Launch pad is ready to go. Yeah, yeah. Move six Kurnoth, not six Kurnoths, move uh, six Dryads over to steal the objective from the giant. Okay. Launch my six scythe hunters at the five blight kings because mm. he had started to move the other blight kings behind a building back towards the middle of the objective so he could move the glotkin up which i was like cool now's a chance to strike strike while the iron's hot i moved the tree lord basically into an alley mm. and he was just going to live there because it meant that it protected my back right objective basically for mm. the whole game okay where you would have to go through the tree lord and, you know, all the subsequent buffs that I have going and then also deal with, like, the Warsong's damage and, <laughs> and all of that spitting out. Warsong didn't do very much in this game because oh, the Warsong okay. failed to cast oh. early, miscast on triple ones. So the turbo murder machine was not at full throttle. But Kurnoffs are great because they count as two models each because okay. they're five wounds. And, you know, we're standing on there and he's like, I got three and, you know, you got three. And I was like, well, that's really six. You know, because I had some of the unit that wasn't like within the six inch range. And he's okay. like, he's, oh, that's that's quite good. I was like, yeah, it's pretty solid. He wins priority into three. So I take off my back left objective mm-hmm. so that he's not going to be able to burn it. We have a kind of a conversation about battle tactics that are available. And he picks one where he's got to get my Kurnoffs off of his left objective. Oh. Which he does not do. Yeah. This loss of a battle tactic is very important. Okay. Tries to get the Glotkin in there. Again, like, these Kurnoffs are not going anywhere. Because he keeps using the monstrous action to do mortal wounds, which isn't a bad thing, right? Because it's just five, I think, right off the top. Mm-hmm. Which is a whole Kurnoff, which is solid. But you got 30 wounds there when you think about it as a unit. But there's still a lot of mortal wound damage that's going to be coming through. Sure. So end up surviving, denying that tactic. You know, he holds one, holds two, holds more. Not a big deal. Because in my next turn, I send my sword hunters in behind, you know, to, to go supplement this. I'm forced to retreat out my scythe hunter because of the Glotkin's ability, which I was going to do anyways. You didn't need to make me do it. <laughs> but then he redeploys closer to that scythe. That's, uh, I think it's like two scythe hunters at this point, which brings them closer for my sword hunter charge yeah which is plus three and now i'm four inches closer so i need like a two so then i charge and launch pad my sword hunters in behind the blight kings that had gotten closer so i steal the objective stay outside of three of the glotkin oh yeah take this objective and i'm like okay yeah 
cool. We are in business here. But I get him down to one Blight King. And in Battle Round 4, I take the battle tactic to go conquer an objective because he had moved his Blight Kings on the left up forward enough where I could drop in some tree revs behind, go steal that objective, right. take that, and far enough away where it was going to become a really difficult prospect. Turn back around, I would redeploy. It would be a really long charge. You don't want to spend your command point on that reroll. And the whole time this is all happening, I've got my dryads that are just playing like footsie, like with the giant. Sure. Where they're just like getting close to him. And like he tries to like move around him and I just retreat or you know, I redeploy. <laughs> I get like a five or a six on all of them. And he's just like, why? Like, why? Like, why can't I get my hands on you? I burn his right objective. I hold one. I hold two. I hold more. It comes to a point where I have to redeploy the tree revenants and not the dryads. So the dryads are going to die here. Mm-hmm. Not a big deal, though. You know, get them off, get them back, take back the objective that the giant is standing on. I had summoned some dryads and we still haven't figured out that like all I need is just six of them to be within six inches. Sure. We'll have that. I take the battle tactic for broken ranks. The war song uses yeah. its nuke, kills that one. And so we're sitting there talking about bottom of five. And I'm like, I'm up this many points. I was like, the most you can get. I was like, I'm up eight or something. I was like, the most you can get is seven. If you do this battle tactic with this unit, mm. if you kill this with that, and then you do this, this, that, and the other. So he does. And I'm like, and so I won like 36 to 35. Oh, but, God. You know, but because we're pulling everybody in all these different directions, it was just tough for him. Chaos. Yeah. In a lot of ways. I'm attacking from all angles. It's always kind of what I'm trying to do with the gnarl root list is maintain pressure where I force you to consolidate towards the spell portal that is going to ideally provide your doom. Mm -hmm. So that was my last one. I finished the day two and one. And I wanted to say real quickly, just remember we were talking about Eidneth in my second game when we were talking about the battle tome and how the Eidolon that's the magic user gets to re-roll everything. Mm -hmm. Man, I don't know how many times Alex re-rolled stuff. I'm going, wait a minute, you get to re-roll everything? He's like, oh yeah, everything. That is really good because I didn't know it at the time. (laughs) He just kept re-rolling his dice. I'm going, just stop. (laughs) But it was really fun to see that. And then talk about it when we talked about the book. So my third game was against Nurgle as well. I played Mike and he had a great unclean on a Guo. He had Gut Rot Spume so he could do the deep strike thing. He had a Lord of Affliction so those were his leaders. He had three units of five Blight Kings, two Blight Lords in a unit and then t- 10 Plague Bears. Okay. So pretty decent list. It was kind of interesting because I thought he was going to be more aggressive at first and in the first two turns, he essentially didn't drop his Blight Kings because he had Gut Rot and five Blight Kings, the Lord of Afflictions, and the two Blight Lords off the board. So he had a fair amount of his army off the board. One of the unit of five Blight Kings was kind of holding the uh, objective on his right side. He had another one just parked on the middle objective. And then he had the 10 Plague Bears and the Great Unclean one kind of just sitting there. He didn't really do much with them the first turn or two. And I'm like, I kind of wonder what was going on because he wasn't very aggressive with any of that. I took the Harrow. Oh, the other thing I did was what you had told me about in our practice game Mm -hmm. was using Rykonor to extend the range of... The spell portal. The hand, yeah. And he was going, what do you mean 21 inches? Like, what? Like, no, really. And so I ended up trying to dust off his Guo the first turn, I think it was. Didn't take. But it was really cool to have that happen and actually do it on the table. So it wasn't the first time either. It was like, oh, this is this really cool. Thanks, Brendan. Yeah. yeah. So I took my hero. 
I moved him over to that objective on the right side because he had his guys kind of backed off a little bit. And then I had a unit of 10 off the board. So I dropped them over close enough to the objective to take it between that and the Harrow, but far enough away. Mm -hmm. So I took it. I burned it, which was great. Well, that's when he dropped in everything, man. (laughs) And seeing all that stuff drop in, Lord of Afflictions, five Blight Kings, two Blight Lords. I was like, oh man, this is not good. I have my unit of 20 over there that kind of was holding the line and he also moved that other unit of 10 blight or five blight kings up he started moving them up the board and this is where i did the arcane bolt thing and it was just so cool the other thing that was really annoying is that after attack from the blight kings where they can roll i think it's what based on the number of models they have yep. and it was like really you get another roll he goes oh yeah so he's rolling and he's picking on a unit of 10 chain rasts so like whatever but they it lasted it, like two turns it's mortal wounds right it's, it's additional damage on top of you know your regular standard expected which is output pretty decent five which is lords. what so which is why those disease points are so oh yeah they're annoying so as good hell. they are really good i ended up taking as my be- you talked about it's so funny it was almost like we had a mirror match in some ways because i had picked bring it down against his guo which he was moving up finally mm-hmm. i didn't take it out again Mm. But that was my battle tactic, so I lost those two points. Yeah, I ended up losing the game by two points. It would have been a tie otherwise, but I really rocked Nagash. He ended up taking out both the Blight Lords and a unit of Fly Blight Kings, which was really good. I mean, it, the way he had his army moved into my side of the board, I was just forced to engage in some way. And I took off his goal. I took off the Great Unclean with a hand of dust. I finally got it off. Nice. So that was cool. And I ended up putting like five... Arcane bolts on him one turn. I put six on him the other. I did like 13 mortal wounds to him Jeez. with those six dice. Well, that's not very good. I'm going, that's at average, right? Yeah. And I took off. it. Plus, I ended up doing uh, Reaping Scythe, which I figured out was good, you know? And it's a good spell. That's why I could take out those five whoosh. I mortal wound them, you know, like almost three of them off the board right away. And then just boom, 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 just ripped right through them, which was really cool. But I'm going, this RK Bolt thing is pretty cool. <laughs> pretty all right. Yeah. And then I got the Blight Lords with the same kind of a combination where I buffed him up, did a bunch of mortal wounds with those five arcane bolts, and then, you know, See was you able later. to take them off. Yeah. When we ran out of time, taking off the Guo, I could have won that game for sure if we'd had more turns to play. Mm-hmm. You know, I really knew at a certain point that I was kind of rolling the, you know, doing the 50-50 thing to try to take him out that one turn to get that tactic and having that not go off. There are other things I could have done. Sure. And I should have looked at that and said, where are the odds higher? And I could have at least tied the game. But it was really a good game. I appreciated Mike, you know, how he played the game. And it was really great to get that experience with the disease points and all those other things that usually you fear in a, you know, Blight Lords, Blight Kings, those kind of things. To have the experience to play them straight up and to see how good Nagash could be if you use him correctly. So that was really cool. Nice. Had a great, great third game. So that is that Spring the, Rubicon. That was the day. Yeah, and I had a great time. I just had a wonderful day playing the game. And I know I won 0 3, I get that, but learned so much about that army that I'm taking to Vault Wars now and have a lot better idea after, yeah, only five games. But a lot of learning, a lot of great time, meeting new people, all a good day. How about you? It was nice to get my trees out, right, to do some proof of concept on some things that I had been kind of working out on paper. 
getting back to understanding the speed of it all, the spacing that you have to manage with your trees physically and your units and where all that goes down and and how to kind of plan out the different areas on the board Mm. that you're going to be attacking. You know, making sure that you leave space for your endless spells, you know, that require the one inch from everything zoning. So one of the things I've taken to is actually in deployment, just putting the endless spells on the table and then measuring out where I'd like to put them and then building my deployments off of it. So I definitely ran across a situation or two where I was like, ooh, I don't know that I can put that there. Yeah, sure. (laughs) So... Now, one of the last thing that I really enjoyed was kind of the mechanic for victory points, you know, or overall tournament points mm-hmm. here, because it's very similar to what Tyler's doing at Vault Wars, where that you need to play the game out. Yeah. And I really liked having the practice with that because then I focused on I need to get my grand strategy. I need to get as many tactics as I can, because even if I lose the game, all those points are going to carry forward for me. Mm-hmm. And so just keep playing and keep playing and keep playing. Even if you're getting beaten up, that way, you know, if somebody else gives up at another table somewhere, they're not going to get any of those points. And yep. so that puts you ahead of them, even if you're both losing. And that was really, really a good experience, too, because I know that's what we're going to have to deal with in a couple weeks. Mm-hmm. You should never give up on your games ever, yep. if for no other reason than just learning how to play with your back against the wall. Sure. That's a great point. All right, man. Well, that was Spring Rubicon. And again, thanks to the folks there for putting that together for us. I'm really looking forward to another day like that. I think one of the things we enjoyed the most and we've talked offline is that it was so darn close to home. Yeah. It was just great. Home at a very reasonable hour. <laughs> so yeah, that's it. And we're going to move on then to Scriptorium. Etc. 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 Scriptorium time, and we have a couple of new releases. Pretty exciting, both of them. First one is on the 40K side. We have Throne of Light, which is the Dawn of Fire series number four book. This is all Indomitus era, so this is kind of post-40K, I guess. We'll see how that goes. The first three have been very interesting. Characters introduced, the whole dynamic with the custodians at this point in the story and in the lore, that you just know they are itching to get rid of Gulliman. I mean, if they have to literally kill him, I think they will. And they've pretty much done everything but say that in these stories. So it's really interesting that the custodians have become very nefarious in the way this has been written and the story as it's progressing. You've got some palace intrigue. Yeah. And, you know, the whole thing with the Yellow King, you know, we talked about from Pariah and the Elizabeth Beckwin stories. They want to get rid of anybody. I like the stories moving with consequence. Yeah. You know, that's it's, that's It's cool. really cool. And just to see them the whole time that they were fighting in the heresy against the secrecy of the heresy. And now they've got this dark secret that they're holding. And then we have the third Gotrek book, Soul Slayer. And interestingly enough, we just talked about Deepkin. He's fighting Deepkin. Hmm. So that'll be a fun But The first two were really good. And so I'm interested now that he's, you know, this is his latest confrontation. It'll be fun to, to listen to that story as well. So both sound really, really good. How about you for all your stuff? So I watched The Batman. What did you think? So that's the new Batman movie. I liked it. I know a lot of people have it as their favorite Batman movie. Mm. Not mine. I have it behind Dark Knight and Dark Knight Rises. Mm -hmm. I like the grittier takes on Batman. I think that that's interesting. Dark. It's super dark. I really liked that there were... Kind of some real world elements and fears and concerns that were played into it. I think that's one of the important evolutions that any story has to be able to take to maintain relevancy, you know, be it through mythos, you know, in true like ancient storytelling practices Mm -hmm. that, you know, when they're, you know, kind of brought into modern telling needs to incorporate uh, kind of the lexicon of fears Mm -hmm. and, you know, considerations for it without spoiling 
this movie, some of the main villain interaction are kinds of people that are real, you know, in our society. And that that fear issue was really huge mm -hmm. with this main villain. Yeah. Yeah. It was just feeding on that. That was really cool. It made it one of the more personable kind of movies. So... I still really like Heath Ledger's Joker a lot. Sure. I know that the third movie, The Dark Knight Rises, isn't as good as The Dark Knight. Like, in terms of it, Tom Hardy's Bane is, You've said that is so awesome. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he is. There's no question. I don't care that he's in the movie for, like, seven minutes. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. Agreed. Colin Farrell as the Penguin was awesome in this movie. There was some really cool stuff. It was a good movie. I would recommend watching it. It's not my favorite Batman, but it's a very compelling Batman. It was. Yep. I enjoyed it for sure. So in terms of listens, I've been bouncing between the two podcasts that I've you know picked up and talked about on the last show, the Revolutions podcast and mm-hmm. Well, There's Your Problem. Well, There's Your Problem has a sister podcast called Lions Led by Donkey which is a podcast that, you know, Dan, you'll know the reference off of it, is effectively discussing military poor decision making, you know, either from like the equipment side, leadership side, execution side, right? The tactics, things like that. Yeah. And they have kind of a, it's a short running series, you know, where they talk about folks and put them up as the worst generals in history, right? It's always the, who's the best general in history, right? You know, Mm -hmm. there's always these long extenuated conversations of, Oh, well, you know, if Alexander the Great had, you know, been a leader in, you know, World War One, like, you know, what, oh, sure. like, you know, the, you're taking these people out of place and time and who have these like <laughs> these incredible results. Yeah. And, you know, you're trying to do comparison across time. It's taking this in the opposite direction where you're trying to do the comparison shopping of these guys were terrible. It'll be really interesting to me to see if they include Montgomery in this. Mm. And the listeners know who know me. Yeah, know Dan, I Dan despise has a, Bernard Montgomery. Yeah, Dan has a vendetta <laughs> against Montgomery. Uh, but they started with an Italian general in World War One, okay. and then it's he's Austrian in World War One, and they actually fought each other, <laughs> which makes the inclusion like. <laughs> I think really funny that had one of the two of them been competent, very different. And now maybe that was <clears throat> really excellent skill by high command to put these two against each other because they had other stuff they needed to deal with. Right. Maybe they got on the phone and said, hey, let's work this out. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You know, so their shows are about an hour long. You know, sometimes they do multi-part series, but, you know, typically nothing is longer than you know, four parts, so about four hours. They have a pretty long series on Battle of... It's not Stalingrad. It's a shoot. It's the big tank battle. Kursk. Kursk. Mm-hmm. I was like, that's the submarine. What am I doing? Yeah, so they have a four-part series on the Battle of Kursk and oh. really detailing the missteps that the German army Shoot. made in so dealing huge. with that. And, you know, obviously complementing the intelligent things and the very tactically and strategically sound things that the Russian so army did in preparation for something that they knew was basically being telegraphed. Yeah. That's what I've been working on. Awesome. So I've been continuing my reading of Hammer Slammers, the first compendium there. The big books. They're like more than five hundred pages each one Oof. of them. So about halfway through this one. The stories are just so interesting. You know, they'll go into like the bonding confederation that bonds all these mercenaries to make sure they fulfill their contracts and they talk about the mechanics of that so it's fascinating because you usually don't get that when you read stories about mercenaries Mm. you know who are getting paid to do what they're doing somebody paid them you want to make sure that both parties meet their obligations I finished both Kingmaker and Traitor General. You knew you had talked about how much I've been working on Nagash. Kingmaker was that Assassinorum story. A really fascinating surprise 
change in the plot. They just threw it in and you're like, oh my God, where did they... Because you thought the story was kind of over. But then you look and there's like two and a half hours left in the book. You're going, something's going on here. And then, of course... God's Ghost, Trader General, you know, you can't sure. go wrong with a God's Ghost book. I'm starting to listen to Last Ditch, which is the latest Kane book. And then I have Titanicus in my queue for Vault Wars. It's like a 12 or 13 hour listen. time. Perfect for down there and back. So I'm going to save that. Uh, speaking of Batman, I watched the original Batman with Michael Keaton. Just the contrast to like the uh, Christian Bale sto- stories and the, the Batman just mm. now. Interesting, but... I thought he did a great job because it was the first one. And then you had Tim Burton was the director. So you had to deal with that. Like that one's always going to be truer to the comic cartoon style, right? Yes. The, just because of the nature of the director. Plus like the way Jack Nicholson played Joker. You know, it was comedic. But at the same time, he was just bloodthirsty. But it was interesting to watch. And then I started a new podcast. It's called Darknet Diaries. Okay. Really interesting. The, the guy, it's 45 minutes to an hour. He does things on like Spambot Networks. I didn't know what a Spambot Network was and how they're set up and how they feed on themselves. All this stuff that goes on that you never really know about. There's a, a banking Trojan called Zeus that I didn't know about. And it was like, wow, that's really scary. Like, you just aren't aware of these things that are happening on the mm. computers and on the internet. Uh, he also interviews people who either were hackers or are current hackers. He talked to one guy who was in a company and he sent out a warning that this thing was going to happen and the company didn't listen. And then when something happened, happened they fired him and he was like oh i'm done and now he became a hacker Mm -hmm. and he went after this company (laughs) it was like wow but it's all these things that are so underground in the computer world that you don't know about and it's really fascinating to learn what's happening behind the scenes in the real world yeah so really really cool darknet diaries so that's it for me and we're going to move on to this or that Brendan, do you go first? Do you go second? What do you do this time? I'll go first. Okay. We'll start with, do you prefer my gnaw root or my harvest spoon list? So that's the... Okay. If I have to play one of them, I would prefer the gnaw root one. Because that other one was just... I have nothing to do against that. It just It's in your face right away. And it's just brutal, this this packed sledge of damage that's in there. Mm. It's frightening. I was more frightened by that than I was Mark's uh, big wog list. Mm. Yeah, it was amazing how quick it gets in your face and how much it does. So, yeah, yeah. I would prefer to do the Naru list for okay. sure. Peanut butter whiskey or cinnamon whiskey? That's a great question. Um, it's really good, Cindy. I would probably prefer the peanut butter more. Okay. Because the cinnamon to me would take away from the flavor, I think, a little bit more of the whiskey. And I'm a whiskey, yeah. Yeah, you're a whiskey guy. Yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting question. Yeah. Interesting question. For hosting a bunch of people, do you prefer to serve hamburgers or pizza? I'd rather do pizza. Okay. Just because it'd be easier to do. Yeah, you don't have... You feed a lot of people with little effort. Sure. Not that I'd mind turning 40 burgers for people. That'd be cool. But yeah, I would definitely prefer pizza. Okay. For a large group. Doing some preview into our next show. Mm Mm-hmm. Dread Scythe Herodins or Blade Guys? Which is Night on, by the way. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Dread Scythe Herodins or Blade Guys Revenants? Yep. Mmm. Mmm, man. I think Blade Guys, because you can take them as battle line. 
Okay. I think you can still take Herodons as battle. Line oh, can you? Can in you the in the sub faction. Oh, right. If you take that sub faction, right. And Blade Guys in the Blade Guys. Right. I guess that's it. Which I, all of this means nothing to most of you. Right. It's just interesting how two of the main things on their War Scrolls are based on the fact that they can do something. We're not going to talk about it right now, mm-hmm. but they can do something based on the new allegiance abilities you were really high on. And I just like, you know, it gets back to Dan, you know, you're not competitive, but I like the Blakehouse models better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they just look way cooler. What are the four new roadmap books? So one chaos, one order, two destruction. Mm-hmm. What are they? Yeah. What are they? Oh, this that's, is, that's this my, is one of that's your my question. question. Yes. Oh God. This is the predictor machine. Put your flag in the ground. What four are they? Skaven. Skaven's one of the autumn ones. That's what you're saying? Yeah. Okay. Order. <sighs> Man. I think they'll do cities. Okay. Chaos. Well, no. So you have your chaos. Oh, oh you have so my chaos. So you right, need two right. destruction ones. Um, Gloom Spite for sure. Okay. I would be shocked if it wasn't Gloom Spite. That's hard. Other than Gloom Spite, that's really difficult. I mean, new faction is an option. Yeah, I would do that then. Okay. Something new. So something brand new. Yeah. I, I just, I can't think of anything else. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there's something. But. So so you think for the autumn, it's going to be Skaven, Cities, Gloom Spite, and a new Destruction faction. Yes. Yeah, okay. I think so. So what do you have for Summer? Because that's one order, one chaos. One order, one chaos. Yeah. I don't know that I picked anything yet. Okay. Did I? No, I didn't. I got you beat. Blades. I'm going to say Blades. Okay, so Blades is your chaos. Blades is chaos. And... Give me some order factions. Just throw some out. Caradron Overlords, Sylvaneth. Um, Sylvaneth. Lumineth Part 3. <laughs> Sylvaneth. All right, there we go. Flag in the ground. We're always very right in all of our predictions, <laughs> so take that to the bank. <laughs> it's so bad. There won't be any of these. Oh, that's crazy cool. Mm. All right. So that's your five, yeah? It's my five. Okay. So the first one is you're going to travel internationally to Scandinavia. Oh, okay. Are you going to choose to travel to Norway or Sweden? Because those are your two choices. So I've been to Sweden before, so I'll go to Norway. You'll go to Norway because yep. you've already done the other thing. Yeah, I don't know how much of Sweden I saw, but I've, I've been there before. Okay. You're going to go back in time, and instead of pursuing a college degree, you're going to pursue a trade. Mm. Are you going to become a carpenter or an electrician? I know without any skills, I've been taught to obey three things. Don't mess with water. (laughs) Don't mess with gas. Don't mess with electricity. You pay people to deal with those things. I would say probably electrician. Oh, okay. Cool. Um, To learn how to deal with that. Yes. Yeah, okay. Cool. I thought as an engineer, you might have been more interested in the electrical side, too. I just, that seems to more dangerous you make more money yeah yeah, that's true (laughs) it's true it's so true after your one day event that you just you've done two of them recently yep i know i've asked this before i'm going to ask it again as as time passes and you have more experience with everything would you prefer a one day or two day event if they're equally accessible to you oh man if they're 10 minutes away from my house like sign me up for as many days of warhammer as you want okay so as many one days as you can get or do you want to do a two day close yeah if if it's 10 minutes away from my house, yeah. give me two days. Like All day. The, okay. We just don't have many that are that close as right. we've had. I run couple. one of them, right? That's the <laughs> other problem. Yeah, it's true. That one's close. So two 40K armies. You're going to start a new 40K army. Okay. You're going to do an Admech or a Grey Knights army? Grey Knights. One of my friends growing up did a really cool Grey Knights army in black. Oh, cool. That, that'd be neat. Yeah, it was black scheme. It had like red weapons. Like it was, it was oh, just that's... really sharp. All right, so now I don't. Almost, I almost never ask open-ended questions of mm-hmm. you. 
Unlike the opposite. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to ask you an open-ended question based on the issue with Nagash. Okay. Brendan is going to get called by Games Workshop. Mm-hmm. And they're going to say, Brendan... Why we, do you keep bothering us all the time? Please we, stop. <laughs> oh, sorry. Those you, are the lawyers. <laughs> I get those mixed up. <laughs> we want you to update Nagash's Ooh. War Scroll. We want to know two things that you were going to do to update his War Scroll. Well, I mean, one is obviously he gets just a base ward save. Of six up. Yeah, okay. Minimum. Right, yeah. He can keep his four up against mortals, right? That's his armor. I don't have an issue with that. Ugh. So give him a ward save. What give else? him a ward save. I like his combat profile. I like his healing. He needs a command ability befitting god character model. Okay. I'm okay with people having two command abilities, you know, but if you're going to bring it down to one, not a big fan of the plus one to the ward save. It's interesting. It's useful. You know, it's something. Mm-hmm. I would have... This is wish list. Right. So hear me out. I have a lot of bias in this endeavor. Of course. It'd be a once per battle command ability. Okay. Right? So, right? Going to do balance where you can summon any friendly death summonable unit unreinforced. Mm, you could do that one unit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with some exceptions, right? So, like, you could, like, not resummon, like, raised from the dead mm-hmm. kind of a thing. So, like, you could bring on the table a night haunt unit. You could bring on the table some soul blight units. Ten wolves. Yeah. Ten heritage. Or maybe it's, like, a certain points limit or something where, yeah, like, sure. that's what I would do. And maybe you can only trigger it after so much has been destroyed or something like that either yours or your opponents together. Sure. Like, leave it be a trigger, not something that you could do top of one and be like, I'm actually playing with 2,400 points. Not that egregious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Sure. That's what I would do. Okay. Well, that's my five. We are moving on to show close. There is something going on around here. Something you may not even know about. Brendan, we're recording a little early today so we can get you home for the playoff game. Playoff game. We're not going to have any Sunday announcements, but... We have alluded to, in our conversation at different points today, the fact that Nighthunter in the Wild, our hope is that they will be pre-ordered next weekend and that we can have them in our hands when we get home from, from Vault uh, Wars. Vault Wars. So our plan is, after Vault Wars, which will be three weeks from now, we are going to review the new Nighthunt Battle Tome. As long as we got the books in our hands, that's what we're doing. If we, we don't, then it's Vault Wars. There's well, yep. We'll just reverse them if we have yep. to. Yep. And then after that, probably daughters. Yep. Because they'll be coming out too. So. And then after that, I don't know. <laughs> we'll figure it out. Mm. All right. Well, thanks, man. That was a good show. Yeah. Uh, got that one knocked out. It was great to be able to go to Rubicon so close. And it, it was just a great day of gaming and throwing dice. It was really, really cool. I think that's about it then. Until next time, good luck today with your bucks. I'll be out there competing. You'll recognize me as the one person who can't play basketball. <laughs> Um, yeah good luck to them in the playoffs and all that kind of stuff so other than that uh, thank you listeners for coming along for the ride really appreciate it talk to you after we get back from vault wars you stay safe stay healthy and we'll see you next time around bye this is the